Chapter 1. The Life of George Washington, in Words of One Syllable, by Josephine Pollard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of George Washington, in Words of One Syllable, by Josephine Pollard. Chapter 1. Boyhood. George Washington was born in the state of Virginia, at a place known as Bridges Creek, on February 22, 1732. His great-grandsire John Washington came from England in the year 1657, and took up lands in that state and was a rich man. George was the son of his grandson Augustine. Augustine's first wife was Jane Butler, who died and left him with two boys. His next wife was Mary Ball, and George was her first child. The old homestead in which George was born stood near the banks of the Potomac River and was built with a steep roof that sloped down to low eaves that hung out far from the main wall. There were four rooms on the ground floor and some near the roof, and at each end of the house was a great fireplace built of brick with broad hearthstones such as were in style in those days. A stone is all that marks the birthplace of George Washington. He was not more than eight years of age when his father went to live on a farm near the Rappahannock River. The house was built much in the same style as the one at Bridges Creek, but it stood on high ground, and here all his boyhood days were spent. As there were no good schools in America at the time, those who had the means sent their sons to England to be taught and trained. Lawrence Washington was sent when he was 15 years of age. And as he was the firstborn, it was thought that he would in time take his father's place as head of the house. The school to which George was sent stood in a field on his father's land, and was taught by a man named Hobby. This gave it the name of the Hobby School. There were but three things taught there, how to read, how to write, and how to do sums. And some folks thought that these were all their boys and girls had need to learn. Books were scarce and dear and as most of the men raised fine crops and kept up a brisk trade, they were well pleased to have their boys learn how to buy and sell and to make out bills. George had been trained by his father, who was a strict and yet a just man, to love the truth and to do right at all times. He was made to feel that it was a sin to tell a lie, and much worse to hide a fault than to own it. George had a small axe, of which he was quite proud and boylike. He cut right and left with it, and thought not of the harm he might do. On the lawn stood a small tree, which his father hoped to see grow up to a good height and bear fine fruit. George made a great gash in this tree with his sharp axe, and when his father saw it, he was quite sad. He called the boy to his side, and in a stern voice said, Who did this? Who cut this tree? George hung his head with shame. He knew he had done wrong and he stood in fear of his father, who he knew would use the rod where there was need of it. It was a chance for the boy to show what kind of stuff he was made of. George raised his face, still red with the blush of shame, and said in his frank way and without a sign of fear, I did it, father. I cannot tell a lie. There was no need to use the rod on such a boy as that, and the father must have felt a thrill of joy when he found that the great truths he had taught his son had such a hold on his mind, and had struck their roots deep into his heart. It is told that he clasped George to his breast, 
and said with tears in his eyes that it would grieve him less to lose scores and scores of trees than to have his boy tell one lie but you must not think that george washington was such a good good boy that he could guide himself and did not need to be kept in check he was high strung as quick as a flash and felt that he was born to rule and these traits his mother had to keep down and train so they would not wreck the young boy for when george was not yet twelve years of age his father died and his mother was left with the care of five young folks the task was one for which she was well fit and as she had rare good sense a fine mind a strong will and a kind heart she used to read to her boys and girls each day out of some good book talk with them and tell them how they could best serve god and man and george laid up each word in his heart and sought to pay her back as well as he could for all her kind love and care she said of george that he was a good boy and it had been said in her praise that a noble mother must have borne so brave a son when george was thirteen and his half-brother lawrence twenty-one england and spain went to war and lawrence went with the troops that were sent to the west indies the sight of lawrence in warlike trim the sound of drum and fife and the march of troops through the streets fired the heart of the young lad and from that time his plays and games in school and out took on a warlike turn there was a boy at school named william bustle who took up arms and marched with as much zeal as george washington but george was at all times commander-in-chief he was fond of all the sports that boys love he could run and jump and climb and toss bars and took part in all those feats that kept him in health and strength he could pitch quoits with great skill and the place is shown that fredericksburg where when a boy he flung a stone across the rappahannock he was fond of a horse and there was no steed so wild that george could not mount on his back and tame him mrs washington had a colt which she thought so much of that she let it run loose in the field he was so fierce that no one had dared to get on his back one day george went out to view the colt with some of his boy friends and he told them if they would help him put the bit in the colt's mouth he would mount the boys drove the colt into a small lot put the bit in his mouth and washington was soon on his back the beast rushed into the field but was soon curbed by the strong arms of the boy on his back then the colt reared and plunged and tried in all sorts of ways to get rid of the lad who clung to the colt's bare back as if he had been glued there mad with rage the colt tried once more to throw him but strained too hard and fell to the ground and died in a short time the group of boys were well scared at this sad end of their fun and scarce knew what to do when they went back to the house mrs washington asked the boys if they had seen her fine breed of colts the one i am most proud of she said i am told is as large as his sire some of the lads hung their heads and knew not what to say but george spoke up in his frank way and said that the colt was dead dead she cried and from what cause then george told her just what had been done and how hard the beast had fought to get free and how at the last with one wild fierce plunge he fell down and died a flush rose to the mother's cheek and then she said to her boy it is well 
but while I grieve at the loss of my fine colt, I feel a pride and joy in my son, who speaks the truth at all times. George was fond of his books, too, and was so wise a lad, and so full of thought, and had so keen a sense of what was just, that his schoolmates came to him when they got into a war of words or of blows, that he might say which side was right and which was wrong, and thus put an end to the fight. This use of his mind made George look at things in a clear light, and gave him that look of true pride which all men of high mind, the real kings of earth, are wont to wear. In due time, George outgrew the hobby school, and was sent to live with his half-brother Augustine at Bridges Creek, where there was a school of a high grade. But George had no taste for Latin or Greek, and liked best to do sums and to draw maps. He wrote with great care, page after page of what he called forms of writing. These were notes of hand, bills of sale, deeds, bonds, and the like, such as one would think a boy of thirteen would not care much about. In the same book, it is kept to this day, George wrote out one hundred and ten rules which were to guide him in act and speech at home and abroad. Some few of these I will give you, that you may see at how young an age this boy set out to train himself and fit himself for the high place he was to fill. It almost seems as if he must have known the high rank he was to take, but this could not be. His soul was fixed on high things. He had no low tastes, and he was led by the hand of God. Here are some of the rules that George Washington took as the guide of his youth. In the presence of others, sing not to yourself with a humming noise, nor drum with your fingers or feet. Sleep not when others speak. Sit not when others stand. Speak not when you should hold your peace. Walk not when others stop. Turn not your back to others when speaking. Jog not the table or desk on which another reads or writes. Lean not on anyone. Read no letters, books, or papers in company. But when there is a need for doing it, you must ask leave. Come not near the books or writings of anyone so as to read them, unless asked to do so, nor give your opinion of them unasked. Also look not nigh when another is writing a letter. In writing or speaking, give to each person his due title according to his rank and the custom of the place. When a man does all he can, though it succeeds not well, blame not him that he did it. Be slow to believe evil reports of anyone. Be modest in your dress, and seek to suit nature rather than to win admiration. Keep to the fashion of your equals, such as are civil and orderly with respect to times and places. Play not the peacock looking all about to see if you can be well decked, if your shoes fit well, your stockings sit neatly, and your clothes handsomely. Make friends with those of good character. If you care for your own reputation, for it is better to be alone than in bad company. Speak not of doleful things in time of mirth, nor at the table. Speak not of mournful things as death and wounds, and if others mention them, change, if you can, the discourse. Utter not base and foolish things amongst grave and learned men, nor hard questions or subjects among the ignorant, 
nor things hard to be believed. Be not forward, but friendly and courteous, the first to salute, hear, and answer, and be not pensive when it is time to converse. Gaze not on the marks or blemishes of others, and ask not how they came. Think before you speak, pronounce not imperfectly, nor bring out your words too hastily, but orderly and distinctly. Treat with men at fit times about business, and whisper not in the company of others. Be not curious to know the affairs of others, nor go near to those that speak in private. Undertake not to do what you cannot perform, but be careful to keep your promise. Speak not evil of the absent, for it is unjust. Make no show of taking great delight in your food. Feed not with greediness. Cut your bread with a knife. Lean not on the table. Neither find fault with what you eat. When you speak of God, let it be gravely and in reverence. Honor and obey your parents, although they may be poor. Let your amusements be manful, not sinful. Labor to keep alive in your breast that little spark of celestial fire called conscience. It is not known where George found these rules he took so much pains to write out, but it is plain that he set great store by them and made use of them throughout his whole life. End of chapter 1